is the Homestead Journey Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the pursuit of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability. This is episode number 91 of the Homestead Journey Podcast. Can you believe that, folks? 91 episodes, 91 weeks that we have been journeying together towards self-sufficiency self-reliance and sustainability. So we've begun the countdown to episode 100. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me here on the Homestead Journey. Those of you who have been with me since the very beginning, I thank you so much. And those of you who are relatively new, welcome. My name is Brian Wells. I am coming to you from 3B Farm and Homestead here in beautiful upstate New York. And folks, this week, well, it was an odd week. As I shared with you on last week's episode, my plan for this week was not to be here on the homestead very much. And well, that plan came through. So let's jump on over to this week's homestead happenings. I will bring you up to speed on what we did do and what I didn't do here on 3B Farm and Homestead. So as I said, my plan for this week did not involve a lot of time here on the homestead. <laughs> uh, and consequently, this episode is going to be a little bit short, um, partly uh, because there's not much to talk about on the homestead happening segment. And part of that is because I am absolutely beat. This week, I went camping with my son's Boy Scout troop. So we actually left on Wednesday. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, Monday, I had off from work. That was our 4th of July holiday. And I spent it getting my 2021 canning season underway. So on Monday, we actually canned up some strawberry and I believe strawberry rhubarb. I don't remember. I did a couple of batches of strawberry rhubarb. I did one batch of strawberry and I did a batch of Current jelly. So the strawberry, strawberry rhubarb was jam. This is the first time I've ever been able to make current jelly, which is one of my all time favorite jellies of all time. Uh, it, the first time I've ever been able to make it with currants from our homestead. In the past, when I've made it, I've gotten them from my in laws or I got them from my my mother, who was gracious enough to give me current so that I could kick her butt in the head-to-head uh, -head contest at the Washington County Fair. Um, unfortunately, this year, I did not have enough to be able to share with her. So, Or I would have returned the favor. Their current bush uh, did not give off as much this year. Um, but part of it is because they haven't been pruning it. Um, and so I pruned mine this year. And as I shared with you last week, we had an abundance of berries. Now, when I say an abundance, it was just enough to make a batch of currant jelly. In order to make currant jelly, you need 21 cups of berries. And folks, if you've ever picked currants, you'll know that that's a lot of berries to pick. But I did have enough. I had one cup of, we'll call it currant juice. <laughs> well, one cup of that left over, 
I had a few strawberries left over at the end of making my strawberry rhubarb jam. And so I blended it all up, threw a little bit of lemon juice in there, added just a tad bit of sugar, some water, and made a very refreshing homestead concoction, shall we say. Um, but uh, anyhow, so that was really Monday and Tuesday. I also did spend a little bit of time up in the garden, um, but Monday and Tuesday was really spent canning and then obviously prepping for the uh, the camping trip. The camping trip went very, very well. Um, we had some new boys come into our troop this year, so this was their first camping trip, and I was just so impressed, folks. Um, they just really did very well. The older boys um, rose to the occasion, providing great leadership. We really try to focus on our troop being a boy-led troop. And so as much as possible, the adults really try to stay out of the way, step in and provide a little bit of guidance when we need to. But other than that, we really try to let the boys lead the boys. Um, one of the things that I am so uh, adamant about, and I, I really stress to my scouts when they scoutmaster conference with me for their star rank, this is the point to where you start giving scouting. Up to this point, you've received scouting. Now your job is to um, to give scouting. And they just stepped up in ways that was just so amazing. Um, I was so proud of them. And so anyhow, I don't know why I got it, got it on that rabbit hole, but I was just so proud of them. It was it was great. Anyhow, so the, the trip was great. Um, the, the, the way we do it, the uh, scouts have their site. The adults have their site. The scouts cook their meals. The adults cook their meals. And so the homestead came with me. And uh, we had zucchini one night that we did in a foil packet, and it was just absolutely delicious. We had snow peas one night in foil packets, tons of butter, absolutely delicious. Um, eggs, of course, we made egg sandwiches a couple of mornings. We made, um, I had American guinea hog pork chops. And uh, in fact, if you follow us on Instagram or Facebook, or if you go over to our website, uh, thehomesteadjourney.net, you will see pictures of the pork chops that uh, we had. And folks, they were absolutely delicious. A little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper. And I, I grilled them up and I brought some sweet baby rays just because so often people are accustomed with that other white meat that uh, pork is sold as they need something to give it flavor. But uh, that uh, bottle of sweet baby rays never got touched. Um, they were just blown away by those American guinea hog pork chops. So anyhow, it was a great week. Um, and I was able to rest up and relax. Didn't get in as much reading as I thought I would that I had wanted to, but, um, I was able to make it about, I don't know, three quarters of the way through, uh, this book here, Kathy R. Payne It's saving the guinea hogs. You may remember that I've had her on the podcast uh, a number of different times. And uh, I bought this book and just haven't had, have had it in my stack of stuff to read and hadn't gotten around to it. And so I was able to get about three quarters of the way through this, I'll finish up another book and then, and then jumped into this one. And we're going to talk about this here in a little bit on the uh, charting the course segment. But uh, anyhow, that was my week. We had some monsoons uh, while we were there. Um, but other than that, we had beautiful days. We went to Fort Ticonderoga. Um, we did some hiking in the town of Ticonderoga, 
uh, along the Lachute Trail. And uh, so it's just great for the, the scouts to be able to learn about the history uh, of our local area, the importance that this area had on the foundation of the United States. And uh, so anyhow, it was a great week, but I'm glad to be back on the homestead. Enjoyed a very nice shower this afternoon. <laughs> the facilities there are nice, but the showers are kind of lukewarm. So to be able to enjoy a nice hot shower, a shave, um, and then take a nap. Um, I was planning on sleeping in my hammock, but there weren't trees uh, in the vicinity where I could do that. So I had a backup plan of taking a tent with a cot. Well, I bought a brand new tent and hadn't had the opportunity to even open it up. Long story short is the cot was too long for the tent. And so I was thinking, oh man, I'm gonna have to sleep on the ground. But luckily one of my scouts did have an extra uh, sleeping pad. And so all was not lost, but certainly the memory foam tonight, whew, gonna feel good. All right, let's head on over to this week's Charting the Course. So this week's Charting the Course is going to be a little bit of a shorter segment, in part because I am just beat, folks. I uh, <laughs> I am uh, I'm looking forward to calling into bed. But I, I did not want to skip an episode, and as I as I mentioned earlier, I, I did spend quite a bit of time this week reading this book by Kathy Payne, and one of the things that uh, really jumped out at me uh, from this book is something I didn't realize, uh, or at least it didn't click with me. I should go back and listen to my uh, my interview with Kathy. Actually, I interviewed her a number of times, but. Uh, I just don't remember us touching on how close the American guinea hog came to being extinct. At least, at least I don't remember the exact numbers. I had always heard that there were a couple of hundred hogs left when they went looking for them in the late 90s, early 2000s. On her book here in page 65, this is what she says. This was actually an interview that she did with Kevin Fall, who was one of the ones who started the American Guinea Hog Association in 2006. This is what Kevin Fall had to say. There were 55 guinea hogs alive that we knew of in the United States. Of those, 26 of them were viable animals that could be bred. That means the rest of those, about 29, were sterile or too old to reproduce. There could have been more, but zoos in different places had castrated the animals, so we lost the genetic potential to begin with. But you know, if you started with 26, you can tell people we have gone a long ways. I, I, folks, that just hit me. It was like a, a sucker punch to my solar plexus. I, I literally got teary-eyed as I read those words because. We were that close to losing this breed that I love so much. To put it in perspective, at one point, now it wasn't planned. It was because of some poor infrastructure on my part. But at one point here on my farm, I had 33 American guinea hogs. Now, they weren't full grown. Some were piglets, et cetera, et cetera. But I had 33 American guinea hogs. 
here on my farm. I currently have, I don't know, 18, 19, somewhere in that vicinity. It's like bunny math. And they had 26 viable animals available when they started the American Guinea Hog Association back in 2006. That was just mind-blowing to me. Now, the good news is, is that, uh, as she states on the bottom of page 65 into 66, as of January 2019, more than 9,000 hogs have been registered through the American Guinea Hog Association. So from 26 to 9,000 pigs is absolutely amazing. And I am so thankful for those founders of the American Guinea Hog Association and and other people, um, and she details it all in this book. Highly recommend this book. Um, it's unfortunate that I'm just getting around to reading. I, I interviewed her, what was it? I think a year and a half ago. Maybe it's been almost two years ago. And I'm now just getting around to reading the book. Um, but it's just absolutely amazing to, to hear the stories. And, and I'm just so thankful for those people who had the vision for saving this breed. And it's something folks that this book has just absolutely fueled the passion that I have for heritage breeds. I've shared with you before that uh, I, I, I'm a, a big, I don't know if you want to say a fan, um, but of the livestock conservancy and the work that they do. And when I look at bringing a new animal uh, onto my homestead, I go to the livestock conservancy website and I say, okay, what animals need the most help? Can I get those? So when I brought geese onto my farm, initially my goal was to get some cotton patch geese. And unfortunately, up to this point, it hasn't worked. So I've got Emden geese. But if I continue with geese, the Emdens are not going to continue here on the farm. I'm going to be going with a heritage breed. Same way with turkeys. I've tried a couple of times to get some royal palms. It hasn't worked out yet. I've also looked at some Hollands. Um, which is a foundation breed to the broad-breasted whites. And I have broad-breasted whites just because that's what I could get my hand on at the moment that I needed them. But my plan is to bring Royal Palms or Hollands onto our homestead because I, and this just further fuels that, that fire that I have for maintaining heritage breeds. I just think it's so important. And while I say that, you know, when I mentioned that 9,000 pigs have been registered with the American Guinea Hog Association, and that's awesome, it doesn't mean that the American Guinea Hogs are out of the woods, because what I've seen happen over the last couple of years is kind of what happened back in the, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, where this breed started falling out of favor more for the pink pig, the fast growing, you know, puts on a lot of, of meat in a short amount of time, I've seen homesteaders experiment with the American guinea hog and then abandon it because they were in search of the faster growing pigs. And I'm not faulting anybody. I certainly understand that what not everybody's going to have the same goals that I do. Folks, we need to maintain these heritage breeds. We've got to save these heritage breeds. Anyhow, that's not the topic today. <laughs> that's not the topic today. In chapter four, she talks about some of the events that led to the American guinea hog falling out of favor. 
things like the advent of uh, Crisco and shortening and things like that, um, which were supposed to be healthier alternatives than lard. And the American guinea hog was a lard breed, um, as well as the policies of Earl Butts. Um, he was the Secretary of Agriculture under President Nixon and President Ford, and he was the one that was really instrumental in pushing this large conglomerate type farm that was monocultures. In fact, he was the one that was famous for saying that farmers needed to get big or get out. And all of those things really led to not just the decline of the American guinea hog, but the decline of the small American farm. What Kathy does in this book, in part, is she shares the story of the American guinea hog through the eyes of people who raised them way back in the day or who who were around them as a maybe as kids and their grandparents raised them or their parents raised them. And one of the things that really jumped out at me, it was a common thread through all of the stories that I've read up to this point. And again, I'm about three quarters of the way through the book is the sense of community that existed between those small family farms back in the day and the sense of community that existed in particular with regards to how they raised animals. And I'm not necessarily longing to go back in time to the quote unquote good old days, but some of the stories that she shares in there of how they ran pigs in the river bottoms and what would happen is everybody's pigs were kind of intermixed and Every farm had a notch that um, identified their pigs. And one of the stories uh, detailed how if, if a farmer came upon a sow that had just had a litter of pigs, he would look at that sow, he would identify which farm it belonged to, and then he would notch the piglets accordingly, whether or not those piglets were his. The stories that they also shared were about how they would get together and help each other process animals and, and butchering wasn't just something that the family did by themselves, but it was kind of a, an opportunity for people to get together and work together. And I would help you butcher your pigs and you would help me butcher my pigs. And as I got to thinking with regards to the impact that those policies in the seventies and probably even earlier than that had this kind of go big or go home type approach to farming and the impact that they had on the genetic diversity that we have at our disposal with regards to animals, the heritage breeds and so forth. I also started to think about how we lost something. I don't know if you want to say more important, but just as important as the family farm went away, we started to lose our sense of community. And that's one of the things that I am so thankful for with regards to the internet, modern home setting, YouTube, and so forth, is that we're starting to rediscover that sense of community. And so the point of today's rambling, charting the course is simply this. As we talk so much here on this podcast about self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and sustainability, I do want to remind you that homesteading shines 
brightest in the context of community. You don't have to do it all by yourself. You don't have to raise all the things. You don't have to grow all the things. You don't have to do all the things by yourself. You don't even have to do them all. Find what brings you joy and work with other people as you are able to get in contact with them. To learn from each other, to share experiences with each other, to break bread with each other. And I know this past year, it's been very, very difficult to do that. As hopefully we've put 2020 in the rear view mirror and we've gotten beyond this whole pandemic thing. I really want to challenge you as much as you can to connect with other people in your area, to break bread together, to learn together, to raise animals together, to barter with one another. Maybe somebody raises meat chicken, somebody else raises pigs and you trade. But folks, let's rediscover community just like they rediscovered the American guinea hog. And hopefully, as we've seen the American guinea hog make a nice rebound, and hopefully we will see that trajectory keep going up, may we also see that sense of community make a rebound and that trajectory keep going up. That's my passion. That's my goal. That's why I do this podcast every week, even when I'm exhausted from a wonderful week of camping and my mind isn't really right, probably. (laughs) And I'm struggling to put together coherent sentences. The reason why I do that, folks, is because I want to see people rediscover community self-sufficiency, self-reliance, sustainability, but within the context of community. And if you're struggling to find community in your local area, I would strongly recommend that you check out the supporting listeners program of this podcast. Support.thehomesteadjourney.net is a great way for you to discover more about the community that we're seeking to develop as we seek to encourage each other, challenge each other, cry on each other's shoulders when things don't necessarily go the right way and cheer people on when they have great successes. Support.thehomesteadjourney.net for more information on that. But folks, I really want to challenge you as best as you can. Try to find local people that you can connect with. Maybe you can raise hogs together in the river bottom. I don't know. I don't think we're doing that anymore. Probably not a good idea. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much, folks. That's it for this episode. Have a great week. Brian can be reached by emailing him at brian at thehomesteadjourney.net or by contacting him via our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support this podcast, we invite you to become a member of the Supporting Listeners Program. For $10 a month or $100 per year, you will receive access to a community of like-minded individuals via a private Facebook group. 
at least one monthly live Q&A with Brian, the opportunity to participate in live recordings of the podcast, access to an ever-expanding library of helpful homesteading content, and so much more. Head on over to support.thehomesteadjourney.net for more information and to sign up today. As always, the music on this episode was provided by audionautics.com. So a big shout out to them. And until next time, everybody, keep up the good work.